today. The message I, I'm going to share this morning is going to have a tone that, that maybe men will, will resonate with just a, a little more so. This message is definitely for all of us. But being Father's Day, I, I felt that there, there should be a message to, to the men. As I, as I look at the church today and around our, our nation and the world, I, I have a burden for, for men. Statistics show that if the Father comes to Christ, oh, the, the statistics are off the charts of that family, the wife and children following in a relationship with God. So this morning, I will, in a great way, be addressing the men this morning. But as I do so, please understand that these truths are for all of us. When we think about these names, names like Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Ed McCauley, Pete Fleming, Roger Yoderlin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Billy Graham, Richard Wormbrand. These names, and the list could, could contain many others, come from a generation. A strong generation. A generation, in fact, that was designated the greatest generation. That's kind of a, uh, an amazing title to give a generation, isn't it? Then comes my generation, X. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I would much rather uh, come from the greatest generation. But as we consider that generation, they, they had that designation because they exemplified personal responsibility. When you look at that generation as a whole, there was a work ethic and a humility that embodied those individuals. They were frugal, marked by their commitment. Integrity and self-sacrifice was exemplified in so many. And, and we look at that generation and, and we see those things and we give the designation the greatest generation. And we look around today and we see a generation that maybe doesn't embody those things so much anymore, don't we? A generation that has forgotten many of those things. And there's a tendency in our hearts and our minds to look at this generation that has passed. 
and succumb to the thinking that we will never see men and women like this again. We can succumb to the temptation of just throwing our hands up and going, it's pointless. It's hopeless. And I can say that up here because I've been in conversations where people have thrown their hands up and said it's hopeless. I mean, just look around. So as I thought about what I was going to share this morning, looking through God's word, I wanted to find men. Men we could look at. Be challenged by. Fathers. That we could look at their generation and go, wow. My mind and heart went to the book of Judges. Judges has some amazing events recorded, some amazing men whose lives have have been focused on in generations that would look very similar to the generation we now see around us. And as we look at Judges, when we come to Judges, we are coming off of the heels of, biblically speaking, what could be considered the greatest generation. Men who were forged in the difficult times of of the wilderness. Men who had learned how to trust God when everything they looked at looked bleak. Leaders of this generation were men like Joshua and Caleb. Two men that would stand against, opposed to an entire nation to stand for God. That was the, those were the leaders of this greatest generation that we see. As you go through the book of Joshua, we see this nation engage in battle after battle after battle. And their hearts and their spirits are forged through fire and battle, seeing God give the victory. Imagine that generation. Imagine the excitement of an entire nation that would learn to look to God and and become even more impassioned to move forward for His purpose. That's a powerful generation. That generation was born out of a generation that lacked faith. Yeah, their fathers weren't the greatest. Their fathers were the ones that went, No, we can't do it. They're too big. They're scary. And they looked at the things around them versus the God 
that had led them out. That generation that they were born out of, that generation was known for their crying. They were known for their whining. We don't understand a generation that whines, do we? We don't understand a generation that cries when hard times or difficult things come, do we? Or maybe we do. They were born out of a generation that wanted comfort, not God. That's the generation they came out of. When I, when I look at that, I see hope. I, I get excited within because it's out of that that God raised that generation of Joshua and Caleb's. And the men that would go into the land and they would fight and they would fight with God. That brings hope. It's interesting though. Out of that greatest generation came a time of ease and comfort. A time where they didn't have to engage in battle after battle after battle. And their hearts grew soft. Their hearts grew weak. Things of God had been forgotten. The truths that he had declared were no longer something that beat within their hearts. The principles and lessons that were taught through difficult times and battle, those lessons were long forgotten. No longer passed on from one generation to the next. That generation grew weak and they grew, they raised up another generation. A generation that had forgotten the words that Joshua himself, as he gathered the nation together, Joshua declared these words to the nation, but they had forgotten. Listen, Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 and 15. Listen to what Joshua says. He goes, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him sincerely and in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. It is, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your forefathers served which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord they had forgotten those words they had forgotten that challenge we turn the page over to the book of Judges and we read in chapter 2 the tragic words Look at Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord. Oh, what a designation. The servant of the Lord died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath uh, Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. 
all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Asherah. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel. He gave them into the hands of plunderers and plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. It's interesting. You look at a generation that is marked by that. You read those words and you, you, you look at a nation that is forgotten. And your mind and your heart can look at the surroundings, the circumstances. And it can grow weak. You look at things and it can consi be considered hopeless and out of that generation out of men like that comes a man by the name of Gideon we find him in Judges 6 I want you to look at verses 11 through 13 with me then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Orpah, which belonged to Joash, the Abyssinite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior, Then Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Our past. The environment in, in which we are surrounded by our upbringing. All of those things. The culture in which we live play a great deal into our view and perspective of life. Do they not? However, hear this church, it is never an excuse to disobey God. It 
looking at this man Gideon he is surrounded by a culture that is known and identified as one who is fleeing God and it's in this culture this setting that God comes to Gideon and he addresses him in a very interesting way he says oh valiant warrior It's an interesting title to a man that is sifting wheat in a wine press. Just for cultural context, that's not normal. In fact, you do it down there so the Midianites don't see you sifting wheat. Come and try to take your food away. You are, you are trying to scrape by and keep everything you can. An act of ingenuity? Maybe. Maybe. An act of fear? Probably. And Gideon doesn't rise up and go, Oh yeah, I'm here for you, God. Your warrior stands waiting. That's not his response. In fact, we find Gideon is probably a man who is aware of God. There is a knowledge somewhere about God. Maybe bedtime stories that were told long ago. I don't know. He knows enough to ask questions. He knows enough to identify, but he's not a follower. He is definitely not a valiant warrior for God. In fact, he's, well, most likely a Baal worshiper himself. Coming from a family that has raised up his father who has the, 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 the idols of Baal on his property who is instigating this worship in the community. And maybe he's searching, maybe he's wondering, but he is definitely not this valiant warrior for God. We come to our culture and we see individuals, men and women alike, that, that know about God. He's distant, he's, he's in those stories somewhere. But are we truly engaged? Maybe, maybe we're just comfortable enough to know about Him. I know about God, that's good enough. To bring Him any closer is uncomfortable. Gideon's aware of what God has done in past generations. We can look back to the men who, who were a part of that greatest generation. We can look at what God did with them and go, yeah, I'm aware of that, but what are you doing now, God? And the problems and consequences of sin are more so the focus of Gideon here. 
Isn't it interesting when the consequences come, we tend to focus on that rather than the God that we should be worshiping? Those Midianites, they've kind of drawn some attention to Gideon as well. It's really easy to look at, at the trials and troubles, isn't it? We live in them, we live through them. And that's where we find Gideon. The valiant warrior? See, the difference is, is that was what God was calling him. Not what Gideon was calling himself. God knows his potential. God knows your potential. God knows what he wants to do with you. God is not dependent on this generation to work. He's not dependent on a designation of the greatest generation, generation X, Y, Z. He's not dependent on that. And he's willing to use one man who is willing to be used by God. God knew the victory that was coming. In fact, God knew that, that eventually Gideon would amass an army and God would slash that army down to 300 men. By the way, that's not a good size, militarily speaking, when you're going up an ar- against an army that you can't even count their camels, which were the tanks of that day, okay? That's the army you're going up against. You can't count their uh, camels, much less the military. Let's go with 300 men. God knew what he would do. God knew how he could use Gideon if he would trust God. Men, I want you to hear this this morning. I need to be reminded of it time and time again. God desires to use you and I. In fact, he has a plan for it. I love what what Ephesians says. We read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and it's a wonderful passage for, for salvation. But verse 10 Look at Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, read this, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Don't tell me God doesn't have a plan for you. He has a plan and a purpose. And you and I are to walk in that. Step by step, faithfully with him. Gideon questioned God. He's like, God, are you even working these days? I I look around, God, and I don't see it. I, I hear all the stories of what you did bringing them out of Egypt. 
I've heard the things in the past, but are you working today? How many of you have been tempted to question God and ask Him, God, are you working today? I have. I have. I've struggled. Gideon is too. God, where are you? I see all of this stuff on the news. I see all of this around me in our community. I see all of this happening in my family. It can go on and on and on. And we look at a generation and we go, God, are you working? (laughs) He says, I want to. See, the thing is, as I find typically, we are really good at making excuses. And it's high time you and I stop making excuses. God, I don't see your wonders, I don't see you working, so I'm just going to make an excuse and, well, I, I can't understand Did you see the excuses that Gideon gave? Look with me, Judges 6, 14 through 16. He makes some good ones here, doesn't he? The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. You see some of the excuses? God, how are you working? God, I am the least. I don't know if you've looked around, but there are far others who are, who are greater and better and more significant. That may have been true. That may have been just an excuse. We don't know. Then he says, God, I'm not able. God's like, I know you're not. That's why I'm going to use you. God, I'm... I'm I don't know how to do this. That's a great excuse, isn't it? God, I don't know how. God's like, follow me. God, I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not ready. I've heard all those excuses from people within the church. Pastor, I'm too young. Pastor, I'm too old. I just don't feel ready. And we give these excuses. Time and time again. God's response, Gideon, I'm with you. 
We forget that God is the very one who made us, who who knit us together. We talked about that in VBS. He is the one who has prepared you exactly for what He wants to accomplish through you. I made you. I declare your value. I know how I'm going to work. In fact, I'm really glad God doesn't show how how He's going to use me. It would terrify me if I knew what he was going to do. There would be days I just would decide not to get out of bed. But God knows. And God reminds him, I am working. If you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to hear that. As you look around, understand this, God has not ceased to be working in this world in people's hearts and lives he has not stopped problem is is we just don't look he says I want you I want you You know, it's interesting. I, I've never heard God speak audibly to me. I, I would probably faint if he did. I mean, it would freak me out. But I wonder today how many of us, and I'll just address us men, okay? Men, look here for a moment. How many of you, if God came to you as he did Gideon and says, I want you. I want you, and I have something I'm going to use you for, and I want to work through you, would be like, let's do this. Or would you be willing and able to make excuses just like Gideon was trying? You know, often we find the men of God in the scriptures doing that. Uh, you go back to Moses. Moses, one of the men of, of Israel that, that are, is esteemed, and rightfully so, made excuses. Gideon makes excuses. We are so good at making excuses. And men, let me just tell you this. Every excuse you and I make comes down to pride. It comes down to our pride, our ego. God, I want. God, you don't understand. I planned. God, I can't. My time, my life. It boils down to our pride, our ego. And we try to cloak it in this facade of humility of, oh God, I'm not good enough. God, you made a wrong choice. God, you don't understand. And we forget who we're talking to. God did show himself that day to, to Gideon. Gideon says, I need a sign. God's like, okay, make a sacrifice, bring it here to me. Boom! Consumes it in fire. 
Okay. You got to understand the God that you and I serve is a consuming fire. But before Gideon can ever go into battle, there are some first things first that he has to take care of. And men, there are first things first that you and I have to look at as well. I, I love what it says in verse 25, that very night. It is amazing. God is taking care of this all in one day. God doesn't mess around. And church, maybe today is that day. Men, maybe today is that day that God says, enough, let's get down to business. Look at what he says. Oh, I love this. Verse 25, now that same night the Lord said to him, take your father's bowl and a second bowl, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of this stronghold in an orderly manner. And take a second bowl and offer a burnt offering with wood of the Asherah, which you shall cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord spoken to him. And because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day, he did it by night. It can be scary to obey God. I tell you what. He's doing it. When the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was torn down. The Asherah, which was beside it, was cut down. And the second bull was offered on the altar, which had been built. They said to one another, Who did this thing? And they searched about and inquired. They said, Gideon. The son of Joash did this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has torn down the altar of Baal, and indeed he has cut down the Asherah which was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Or will you deliver him? Whoever will plead for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because someone has torn down his altar. I love that. By the way, the next day, Gideon's still alive. Huh, surprise. I know, I'm great at just ruining the surprise. I, I, wanted, I want us to look at several things here as we consider Gideon taking care of first things first. He deals with the home. And, and as we look at this home, there are idols, there are false gods. This is Joash's property. It is his idol. And he is leading the community in worship of Baal and Asherah. He is a leader in this. So most likely Gideon has grown up in this very same environment. Nathan mentioned it this morning. Some of us didn't have the greatest role models growing up. Gideon's dad is not that great role model. I'm just telling you right now. He's like, hey, son, look at this Baal. Ah, we're going to worship him. Oh, there's an Asherah, too. We're going to worship him. By the way, there was this God a long time ago. Yeah, he led our people out of Egypt. But this, I don't know. 
And I imagine it slipped in slowly over time. Men and women, hear this. God demands full priority in our homes. God is a jealous God. Not willing to share with other gods in your life and mine, and He will deal with them. You know what I love? It's the father model here. Gideon himself is a father, possibly at this point even a grandfather. And here he is approaching his very own father. Ladies, I will tell you as a man, sometimes that is one of the scariest things we will do, is approach our father when there is sin. I will tell you one of the most humbling things as a father is when your son approaches you about your sin. But, in that role as a father, a grandfather possibly, Gideon obeys God. Maybe for the first moment, first first time in his life, he recognizes this God, there's something to him. And for all of us, there is that moment in our life we go, whoa, this God, he's legit. And there is a pivotal moment when we step up and take a stand for truth. We take a stand for God. And Gideon does that that very night. And don't give him a hard time for doing it at night, okay? It is scary as all get out to take a stand, especially in your own family. But he does it. We can't expect God to do some great things through us when we continue to allow the idols and foreign gods a part of our home and our lives. And God's going to do something amazing through Gideon. That's another sermon, okay? But this has to happen first. You know... When we do this, the world around us notices. That community notices. That very morning, they're, whoa! Somebody made a change here. Something's different. Yeah, Gideon is following God. You better believe there's a change. You better believe they are noticing. You know what's really cool, though? as Gideon is moving forward in his relationship with the Lord, he is setting an example for that community, he is setting an example for the people of Israel, and he is setting an example for his very own father. Some of you listening today may be sitting there going, it's too late. I have blown it, you don't understand, you don't understand my past. No, I don't, God does though. And, and look Look at Joash's response. 
When it is pointed out, when the idols are broken down, when God is revealed, Joash has the nerve to do what is right. Dads, grandfathers, men. When sin is pointed out in our lives, in our hearts, in our souls, and it will be. I don't know a man here who's perfect, and I'm putting myself in that bunch. Recognize. And I love the response. All right, people, I'm not too happy about this either, okay? But let's think about this. This has been brought to light. If, if Baal is really a god, kind of like Elijah on the top of the mountain, that's a great sermon too, man. That is just exciting. I mean, man, God shows up. God shows up here too. And he's like, you know, we, we have this god that we remember from the greatest generation, but we've been doing this thing with Baal. If, God, if Baal is really a god, let him fight for himself. Like I said, spoiler alert, Baal does nothing. One generation. One generation, that's all it takes. One man willing to stand up for God and follow Him. Someone once said, the world is yet to see what God can do with one man. One. 100% sold out for him. That is a challenge to me because I know that I have not reached that 100% sold out. Oh, I strive to be. But can you imagine what God could do with that man? And God used Gideon. You know, you read the story of Gideon, all the chapters about him. He does some great things. You know what? Spoiler alert, he's not perfect. He still makes mistakes moving forward. I'll tell you right now, you're going to move forward. You're going to make mistakes. I would venture to say this week, men, even after hearing about Gideon and going, yeah, I mean, we're going to end this service with onward Christian soldiers, okay? I mean, that's a good song to end with. We're going to march out of here. We're going to go, yeah, the victory is God's, okay? And then this week, we're going to sin again. You know what? God's still going to want to use you. He's still going to want to use me. Now, now this generation. You know, I love looking back. I love looking back to that great generation full of examples. It's amazing, though, my great-grandfather would tell me about the follies and the sin that, that plagued that generation. You look at the book of Joshua, and there's victory after victory, but you know what? There was sin after sin as well. We can spend all of our time looking backwards, sometimes even with regret, 
or we can look at God now. We can take his word and we can move forward. We can engage this generation. Consider this. God raised you up for this generation, for this day, for where you are for his purpose. If he wanted you to do something in that generation, you would have been born a long time ago. But God didn't make a mistake when he brought you up in this generation to do something for him, to engage this generation with the message of Jesus Christ. To raise up your homes, your families, Christ with the foundation of his word stop regretting stop looking back and recognize that God has placed you here you and I are have the opportunity to engage the generation that we live in Regardless of how much they whine, cry, and complain, regardless of the sin that we see around us, God has called you and I to follow Him here and now. And there is a day, a day where we recognize who Jesus Christ is, what He wants us to do, how He wants us to engage. And people, church, I pray that day is today. That we will walk out of here and we will engage the generation he has called us to. And we will praise God that we have the opportunity to do so. Because the world needs him. And here's the crazy thing. He desires to use us. Stop making excuses. Let's engage. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts, our minds. God, that we would be willing to, to move forward with the message of your Son. It is that message your son's death, burial, and resurrection, his sacrifice for our sin, that we engage a, a world, a community, neighbors, friends, family with. And God, you have called us to do that. God, I pray for the men here listening. God, that we would be bold. You're looking for a man. You desire to use a man who will be sold out for you. And God, like Gideon, we, we declare, God, we, we can't. That's the truth. Oh, but you can. What a blessing to be something, part of something that you are doing. What a way to live this life for what you are doing. So God, I pray that we... We would listen. We would obey. God, that today would be that day. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.